Selling a little or a lot? Shopify helps you do your thing however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage. All the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage. Shopify is there to help you grow. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout. 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Get a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash work. Shopify.com slash work. Welcome, or should I say welcome back to the Indie Football Podcast daily from uh, Russia. Uh, I'm Ed Malian, sports editor of The Independent, and I'm in Moscow. And alongside me is our northern football correspondent, uh, a very sleepy bunny tonight. It's Mark Richley. Hi, Ed. Uh, it's been a tough day for you. Sleepy. A very tough day for you. Um, lost a lot of blood today. Uh, I mean, they don't want to hear about that. But it, it's, um, it's been a long day at the coalface. Uh, you're at Poland, Senegal, where um, an incredible clash of cultures occurred and that was the final game of the first round of group games um, and from the first round of group games we haven't had a single nil-nil and we just had one red card and that came in the earlier game between Colombia and Japan but we'll get to those later I think the first uh, first and foremost the, the big story of the night is Russia because Russia have done it again uh, 3-1 winners over Egypt um, for whom Mohamed Salah selfishly selfishly put himself ahead of the team played half fit and uh, his, his country would you believe 38 years was it 38 years without a World Cup 28 years without a World Cup years. 28 years without a World Cup well that's ruined that's ruined by Mo Salah so um, yeah that, I mean that's certainly one that's certainly one reading of it uh, an antidote to what you might read elsewhere um, so what do we make of Russia then Critch? because they've they've won their first two games by a combined score of 8-1 to one. they can see a a late penalty that was irrelevant today. Uh, the goals came in a kind of quick fire, fifteen minutes in the in the second half, just just after half time. The first one was a freak. Second one was a gone mouth scramble. But by this point, Egypt are really pushing on because they had to win tonight, um, owing to the situation in the group. So now Russia is sitting pretty uh, after Arten Juba got their third goal. Means they scored eight, so that's more than Spain scored to win same. the twenty ten. Uh, the same, same as yeah. Spain scored. That was a really good start to win the twenty ten World Cup, as ever from our friend uh, Duncan Alexander, who you've heard on the Indie Football Podcast before. Um, are Russia actually good? Uh, I, I don't think so. Or I don't know. We've seen it a lot, haven't we, in the past, where host nations at tournaments raise raise their game. Um, whether that's what's going on here. I don't know. Uh, maybe, maybe <laughs> there'll be discussions about that in the future. Um, but okay, so if we just take it in context, anyway, this was a fairly, fairly um, favourable group that Russia got handed in the first place. Um, Saudi Arabia were really no great shakes, as as we learnt, and as we're probably going to see tomorrow against Uruguay again. The uh, the injury to Salah was massive for Egypt. Um, but having seen Egypt two games now, uh, you, you do kind of wonder whether it would have made too much difference. That uh, Hector Cooper is a manager who prides himself on the defence. This 
seem to have that sorted for the majority against against uh, Uruguay. We're still while still looking a bit vulnerable, but they really have offered nothing otherwise. Um, Salah gets the goal for them tonight from the penalty spot, but there wasn't wasn't that much of a game otherwise. So, uh, and and yeah, and and I guess they played those. Are, if those are the two weakest teams in the group, we're saying now, because <laughs> it certainly looks like it. Then they've played them both in the first two games. Um, so we might get a better idea of just how good this Russia team is against Uruguay but I think we've I, I, I just think that the last couple of years and what we saw at Euro 2016 as well is maybe a, a true reflection and um, no, well no I don't I don't think they're particularly good <laughs> I, I get the impression that you, you're not that impressed um, I think there might be a slight overreaction to uh the performance, well, not the performance, because it's, it's the performances if you actually watch them. We were at the opening game against Saudi Arabia and they won 5 0, but it wasn't, it didn't feel like a 5 0, did it? And Saudi Arabia, as we said, did look like they'd never played football before. Um, it'll be interesting to see how Saudi Arabia fare against Uruguay to give us a bit more of a contextual look at, at that win. Um, the manager, uh, what's his name, Stanislav Chernetsov, um, was asked about doping in. Uh, the press conference and got very angry about it and uh, I mean we'd certainly never uh, suggest that they were doping I, I think they um, they played two bad teams uh, there there are obviously lots of weird things about them you know there was the uh, whistleblower Grigory Rodchenkov if you've watched the um, the Netflix documentary Icarus about the doping program state sponsored Russian doping program that went on at the Sochi Olympics. Um, Rodchenkov is is the whistleblower uh, from that, and I think that I think then that win. Oh, I don't know. I don't did know it win an Oscar or something? It, no. it, it won some awards anyway. It's um, it's an incredibly good sports documentary, and if you're listening to this podcast, you're probably interested in sports. So um, I'd search it out if you haven't watched it. Rodchenkov told Jack Pitbrook uh, of our very own Independent very recently that there's at least one member of the Russian squad at this World Cup who he worked with when he uh, was part of that state-sponsored doping program. Um, it is peculiar that uh, Russia have insisted on all of their players playing within Russia pretty much. Cherishev um, and the third-choice keeper, I think, are the only exceptions to that rule. Um, but I still don't think they're that good. You know, I think uh, there are benefits to, to doping within football, but not benefits that suddenly make you into a World Cup contender. You know, I think as soon as Russia come up against a good team, they're going to get absolutely honed. Um, and, they, and they may well and, do that. If... And in the second round, it's going to be Spain or Portugal. Yeah. yeah. So it doesn't matter where they finish in this group. Um, what What is good about it is uh, they've been... Uh, basically, by being host, you get a first seed spot. So you're automatically advantaged. Uh, then they get the, you know, one of the worst Asian teams, Saudi Arabia. And uh, from what we've seen one of the worst African teams although the African teams have been pretty poor throughout yeah I'd agree with that um, like, first win today first win today for Senegal yeah I, I, I don't know it's, it's hard to kind of get a gauge on Egypt really I, I think they've really underwhelmed and disappointed I wouldn't say that the def, that definitely makes them a poor side because we knew coming into this that they, they might be slightly dangerous but they just simply haven't turned up um, on Russia I think to be honest, for all that we're saying, we we do have to give them a bit of credit, you know, or any kind of asterisks you want to put against it, or any question marks, um, because we were sat here less than a week ago saying, 
9-1 on Saudi Arabia is a great bet for the opening game not we you uh, you yeah, were saying that that's, that's the editorial we you no, know, yeah, yes. come, you come under as well I, I did not say that uh, at any point um, I think uh, I, 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 do you know like it's just that we didn't expect this did we no and whatever's going on I think we have to say that they have confounded our expectations so. for sure the reason we're talking about them is because they've confounded our expectations sure. the, re- the reason they're at the top of this podcast and not Colombia or Senegal is, is because this is quite surprising uh, but you know playing against Uruguay will be a, a much better test and even if they lose that game they can write that off as we're already through and then you run into Spain or Portugal and, and it hurts um, so I think there, there might be some some things written in the next couple of days about Russia but from what I've seen they're not that good a team they're obviously playing above themselves um, I think they come into this tournament apart from losing some key players to injury all the players that are here are you know very fit 100% fit because most of them play in the Russian league I think they've been given a very like ideal run up whereas for example Mohamed Salah's playing the Champions League final three weeks ago and getting injured um, the Russians have, have had a far better how would you say like pre-tournament build up session um, and, and they've had a more relaxed time their, their league works on a different calendar anyway so they're more up for it they're better conditioned probably like they're more 100% and they play two rubbish teams so they've won 8-1 over two legs uh, good for them we'll see how that turns out uh, and as we say tomorrow Uruguay versus Saudi, Saudi Arabia I'd like to see Uruguay really turn it on because they've got as I built up last week the talented young midfield which they decided to kick the ball over for the entire game against Egypt um, and hopefully Luis Suarez kind of um, rediscovers himself although I do fear that he might be past the point of that um, a little bit but we'll see it's kind of on Russia as well just a question really um, I remember being asked last week whether we, it's good to have the host, host nation do well at a tournament Um so if Russia get through, well, they're pretty much they're pretty much guaranteed mm-hmm. through now, aren't they? Sorry. So if they get through, but they say they go out and they in the last sixteen, the the second round, I mean, is is that kind of like okay? You know, we can all kind of <laughs> we're all kind of happy with that. Like, you know, they might not be a great side, but they've got far enough for the people in the country to. Have it. I mean, we were on the metro tonight coming back, weren't we? And you every time you seem to go up in a, a different escalator, there was suddenly a roar of Russia behind you from down, <laughs> echoing around these these big grand metro station halls. Um, so, yeah, I mean, just wondering, like, is this perhaps kind of what we wanted? Because we want to see a host tournament, a host nation do well at their own tournament. I would say it's absolutely the optimum thing that could happen is they get they get through the group, the country gets a bit of happiness and a bit they get behind it, and then they run into a genuinely good team who beat them, and everyone's like, oh, that's a shame, but, you know... <laughs> And then, and then the real thing, and then at the quarterfinals, the real thing starts. Yeah, hopefully we get eight really good teams in the quarterfinals, and we can have like a terrific finish to the, to the competition. I think the start's been really interesting. As we uh, we talked about it yesterday with Miguel, and I think Miguel has written a review of the first round of fixtures, which you can find obviously uh, on the website uh, as usual. And yeah, it has been interesting. We haven't had a nil nil. We haven't had a lot of this defensive football that we feared. Um, we've had a lot of penalties because of the extra help from VAR I guess um, we've had very few kind of things go the other way where penalties have been overturned or, or whatever haven't we but we've seen a lot in the other direction where, where things have been missed and then given so um, there's that but I, I think um, 
judging by the numbers, uh, loads of you listened to the England podcast yesterday, which was great because uh, we put a, a ton of work into that and I thought, you know, it ended up being quite good. So um, we're going to give you a little bit more England follow-up. Uh, Jack Pitbrook has flown back from Volga already. He's in Rapino. Um, and I had a little chat with him just before Hi, we came Ed. on air. I'm back in Rapino where it's 10 o'clock. I'm watching Egypt, Russia on the television. And it's been a pretty quiet day here for the England camp. Um, the England team arrived back at 6am this morning, that is Tuesday morning, flying straight from Volgograd after the game, although they were slightly held up by, I think Jordan Henderson was still in doping control late on. But they, they got back, they had a limited training session at Zelenogorsk uh, this morning, only for the players who didn't start yesterday, while the other players just relaxed at the hotel. Uh, Deli Ali went for a scan on his quad muscle, which he slightly strained in in the game against Tunisia, uh, which is why I remember he was limping and was nearly taken off in the first half. Uh, and at the England media base in here in Rapino, uh, there was lim- some limited activity. We got to speak to one or two people, but it was very much and and frankly only a few journalists were there because most of the newspaper journalists, not me, but from the other papers were still in Volgograd and didn't fly back until late. So it was, so it was, all in all, it was a very low-key day here, um, one dominated really by just reflecting on the events of Monday night. I've been doing some reflecting myself because it was a... Um, it was. I think it's a game where there's been a really broad spectrum of opinion about how England played. I mean, generally with this kind of thing, like opinions solidify quite quickly about a team's performance, but there's been a real range, a real range of opinions about this game. I know Johnny and I discussed this last night when we spoke right outside the stadium at about midnight. And I was of the view that it was a mixed performance with maybe slightly more bad than good on balance. Whereas Johnny was more enthusiastic and said it were you know, there was more more good than bad and that we can't be too critical about that poor second half that we saw. Um and certainly, you know, on Twitter I've received a little bit of criticism for being too nice to Southgate and not like and not yeah like not criticizing him enough but frankly I've got more people telling me that I was too harsh on Southgate in England and that I should have been I should have seen more good than bad in the performance and uh should have been nice about the second half so it's funny isn't it it's maybe it's just a function of you know a game where 20 million people watch it and everyone feels like they have a stake in it means that you just get a broader range of opinions or or maybe it's because this is such a New England team that people's opinions about the team haven't really solidified yet into kind of uh, into any sort of pattern um, but because of this I've actually spent a lot of today as well as flying from Volgograd to Moscow Moscow to St. Petersburg and then getting an Uber back up to Rapino thinking and looking back at the game yesterday and how I analysed it and actually the more I think about it I started to think maybe I was a bit harsh about the second half Um, not because I think that England played well because they like they did and I mean I'm not I can't be convinced that the second half was good or that England created chances because you know you can just watch you can watch the tape back and see how little they did create but I do, I'm kind of coming around to the argument that Johnny made to me, which is that, like, the external conditions for that performance were such that it was un, it was very, very difficult for England, probably more difficult than I realised at the time. Um, one is the fact that, you know, Tunisia did push up quite a lot in the first half. They dropped back more in the second half. 
that meant that England didn't have the space in behind for particularly uh, Ali, Lingard and Sterling to run into. So they couldn't create as many chances. So that was a big factor in the game. And of course, Tunisia, having got the equaliser, started to spoil the game. Time waste, give away free kicks. And it was just a very different... Um, it was a very diff- different tempo of play, and that wasn't England's choice. But I think that there's another bigger point here, which is that, like, it's hot. <laughs> the World Cup has been, it's been very, very hard for good teams to exert their dominance over a 90-minute period. I mean, Jim, you know, look at all the other teams. I mean, teams better than England, to be honest. They haven't got their way in their first game. I mean, France were really poor against Australia and Labour to a 2-1 win. Like a, a win which, to be honest, is quite similar to England's win over Tunisia. Germany lost to Mexico. Um, Argentina drew one all with Iceland. Brazil drew one all with Switzerland. Like, it's just... It isn't easy to get... It isn't easy to play your attacking football at a high tempo over a 90-minute period, even though the players are good. Like, it's just... These kind of... These international teams can't produce the same performance level as we see in the club game. And I think we have to, I think we have to get used to that. I think we have to account for that in our evaluations of how teams play. And I think maybe that means that we should we should give England a bit more leeway. I mean, I don't know. Maybe I'll wake up tomorrow and change my mind again and be critical. But perhaps I am coming around to a more kind of bullish position on England's performance. I mean, I think we're expecting an easier game for England up against Panama. Um, and certainly the hope is that if they play like they did for the first half an hour against Tunisia, then they'll have a very good time of it. Um, Panama, I'm sure, will try and defend and, and frustrate them like they did in the first half against Belgium, but I don't I don't imagine they'll be as good at it from what we've seen so far and, and their reputation. Because the big question really is, does Southgate make any changes? I mean, there, I think there's been quite a lot of clamour for either Ruben Loftus-Cheek or Marcus Rashford to come in for the Panama game. Um, personally, I, I'm not sure that's what I would do, and I don't think I don't think they will do that. I mean, there is the issue of Deli Ali scan, and if scan is there, and if Ali can't play, then I'm sure Loftus Cheek will come in for him. But I don't think there's a case for bringing Loftus Cheek in, like if Ali is fit. And again, like Rashford's Rashford Sterling, I can I can see the logic because Rashford did play well when he came on, but I think it would send a strange message to to drop a player after one game, after one bad game. Um, because, you know, he, he is clearly highly valued by Southgate as one of his best players. And, you know, the the Panama game should be an opportunity for Sterling to maybe play himself back into form, score a few goals, hopefully. Um, and that's why I don't think that, even though there are lots of serious questions about England's performance uh, in the second half against Tunisia, I don't think we'll see... Any unforced changes for the team against Panama? Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. 
So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. That was Jack Pitbrook uh, giving you the latest from the England uh, camp in, in quite a lot of detail, uh, if we're honest. There's also some smashing pictures of them racing uh, unicorn-shaped floats around the swimming pool at their training camp uh, if you have access to the internet. So uh, check those out. We should um, review Group H action today because that was the final group. It was the one that we said is really interesting because it has got a real good mix of teams. Mm-hmm. Um, and we got to see a few of those teams today. And you were at Senegal versus Poland, so you're the best placed to tell us about those. So... Um, Senegal won the game 2-1. Yeah. Uh, it was a 2-0 where Poland pulled one back really late on, right? Yeah. So yeah. not quite as close as perhaps it sounded. Um, I my, my opinion of the game, just catching most of it on TV, uh, Poland were rubbish. They, they really didn't have any idea. Considering they've got some good players that play for some good teams, I thought they were very poor. Senegal, who, uh, lest we forget, I tipped as dark horses at the start of the tournament. Um, Did you? On the, on the podcast? Uh, oh, on did, the, did it on, on Five Live. On the oh, on, on Five Live. I don't think that counts in this domain. Well, really. um, if it's on the national broadcaster, I think it counts. Okay. Um, and, yeah, and I, I think on the website as well. I, yeah. I definitely tipped them uh, in a couple of places because I like the look of their attack. Um, and their attack did cause Poland a lot of problems. Uh, Khalidou Koulibaly, I thought, had a great game at centre-back. Uh, that midfield is industrious, to say the least. You know, they... they get around and I think there, there's something there with them I think they could they could get through to the next round I don't know if they're a team that are going to go as far as say Ghana 2010 I don't think they're going to be the best African team we've ever seen at a World Cup but I think they, they might be the best African team at this World Cup um, but as I say you were the man there so give us your thoughts um, so I'd, I'd agree that Poland were absolutely dreadful and really and again underwhelming we're using that word again um, expected much more from them. Uh, I, I think I'm right in saying they were top seeds in the, in the draw in December. Um, well, they gained the system, didn't they? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, I mean, maybe the chickens are coming home to roost on that one. Um, so, just a big, it was it was almost as though they didn't really have any cohesive plan or any kind of ideas. And then also the miscommunication that just kept spreading. Um, the two goals that Senegal scored... Um, the first one is an own goal. A terrible deflection. It's a, it's a poor deflection, but it's a poor attempt at making a block or a clearance as well at the same yeah. time. Um, and and it's I think it's quite easily... You know, if there's a bit more communication between the lines of the, with the defence there, then I, th- I think it's one that could... You can go out to meet Garnagay. He's not moving at that much pace. He's not, you know, he's, he's, he's giving quite a bit of time on the ball to get his shot off. And there's a terrible shot that's going wide. It's an awful shot. And I, I said, I wrote in my report, that at that point it just kind of... We looked, we looked nailed on for our first nil-nil in, if you like, the final opening round group fixture, um, and then it was kind of fitting that like both teams should have a kind of in, imperfect pieces of play, if you like, will come together and create an own goal um, to break the deadlock. Um, so yeah, and, and up to that point, I think, um, like I say, Poland had been really disappointing. Senegal, there was at least energy, there was at least a bit of intent there. Um, I thought and by, and by Niang who eventually got the second but he was impressive before that 
um, struggled at Watford. He's he? been described um, by people that have watched him more than me as a speedboat, like a speedboat without a rudder. Like right. he, he's incredibly good um, at kind of. You see him get through on goal a lot because he's he's quick and he drifts into good spaces and good areas. But I mean, there was one in the first half as well. This exactly happened. He drifted into a great area, terrific passer. I don't know who played it for midfield, but he's you know he's completely split the defence. He's through on goal and his shot like was so wide that it didn't even cross the goal line inside the penalty area. No, I remember that. Yeah, just yeah. a horrible miscue. Yeah, look, look I, I'm not saying I'm not saying he's he's going to light up the tournament or anything, but like I said, uh, Senegal they had they had that kind of like energy, um, and what they, was lacking on both teams to be honest, but uh, it was undercutting Senegal more was just a, a lack of technical quality. Um, Mane, so, what about Sadio Mane? Mane, Mane, I didn't think he had the greatest game. I, like, I've watched a lot of Sadio Mane this year, and um, you know, like. I think he, he he took a lot of criticism at the start of the season because he was kind of playing in a slightly different role because of Salah's arrival, um, and and it, I I never thought he was playing that badly to be honest. But today was one of those games he sometimes has where he, if he doesn't get a few breaks or if he perhaps has a few counters and they don't quite come off, he doesn't beat the first man. I remember one where he was put through down the down the left. And he's like one on one with a guy, and you just think, oh, well, Sadio Mane's obviously gonna, you know, it's gonna be all over him. But then it gets it gets snuffed out, and like he he kind of just like shrugs his shoulders and you know spits a bit. But like, so a slightly frustrating day for him. But I mean, in the end, I think he'll be happy that you know Senegal have have started the campaign with a win. Um, and then I, I suppose we have to talk about the second goal as well. Um, slightly, slightly controversial. The Polish weren't happy about it. Yeah. Um, essentially what happens is Mbaye Yang, your favourite player in the world was off the field injured gets waved back on the defender doesn't know he's there um, and the, uh, just a through ball on the outside of the defender suddenly Yang's through on goal with the keeper on rushing he knocks it past the keeper and then just taps it into an empty net yeah, so I, from my, my perspective of it was I mean, at the, at the very moment that it happened uh, you've got your head down in your right hand because it was like it was like sixty minute mark, so you're you, you're falling to your report by now. But you also have your head down in your right hand because it didn't seem like there was any immediate, you know, action was gonna was gonna pass. So for me, I mean, you hear the crowd. Was, yeah, no, you hear the crowd. But what I mean is that like it felt like a, a, a fair moment to say, Niang, he's ready to come back on. He can he can he mm-hmm. can come back. And I don't think I don't think the referee or anybody really reads the. Uh, just bizarre like lofted back pass that Krzysztof plays that kind of just hangs in the air um, Jan Bednarek who's at Southampton just doesn't know what to do with it then and then Roger Chesney comes running out uh, and by that point Niang's already noticed that you know he's always been alerted to, to a potential goal scoring opportunity he beats Chesney rounds him and you've all seen it so I'm going to explain it again. Yeah, yeah. But like, it just felt to me like, um, yes, maybe Poland have a few complaints. Yes, it, maybe it's a bit of a strange goal. But I, I think Niang, the referee was right or whoever indicated to Niang that he could come on at that point just as the ball was kind of in uh, kind of in uh, Senegal's half. I think, you know, it's a fair decision. Uh, and, and it's just, yeah, like if, if Poland really... Are complaining about it, then one of the three players that made a mistake shouldn't have made a mistake, and it wouldn't have happened. 
the the harsh words of the Critch, um, the Krichoviak. I just realised you're Polish. Um, anything else? I mean, I, I I actually went to two Poland games at Euro 2016. I thought they were a very dull side. Yeah. Uh, Navalka, the the coach, is a bit like an old moody geezer. Did you go to the press conference afterwards? No, I went to the mix zone. Okay. <laughs> Do they say anything interesting in the? I, I guess they just moaned about the second goal, didn't they? The Polish. Um, actually, we only got uh, Lukas Fabianski to stop, uh, and he he was kind of like non-committal about it. I, th- I think uh, you know he was the non-playing goalkeeper, so I, I, and he's just seeing his team lose unexpectedly lose the first game of the World Cup. So he was kind of like, uh, well, you know, it's one of those things. And he's about to join West Ham, so his life is going downhill. Um, Colombia, Japan. You probably didn't see that didn't much see, of that. I didn't see basically any of it. No. So you have to I did. I saw lots of it. Um, so, a game that turned in the fifth minute, basically, with um, Shinji Kagawa had a shot where... Uh, it, the, the passage of play that came before was um, Osaka, the the striker, Yuya Osaka, uh, has a chance, to, and the keeper saves it, and it comes out to Kagawa on the edge of the box, but it's like a really good chance. Like, you know, it's kind of... He's got the whole goal to aim at. And he hits it. And Carlos Sanchez, who you may remember from Aston Villa fame uh, in the season they got relegated, uh, throws out an arm and it hits his upper arm, kind of bicep, outside of bicep, and, and yeah. deflects wide. And it's a red card and it's a penalty. And that's five minutes in. And um, there's huge protest because I think they were trying to suggest that the, the triple jeopardy rule that... Um, you know, was brought in about oh, yeah. Yeah, brought, bringing a man down, and I, I actually it made me realise I didn't actually know the actual directive on that. Like, does that apply to handballs, deliberate handballs? I actually think the ball might have been going over as well. Uh, the shot didn't look like for sure it was going in. Either way, and I know it's instinct. His team probably would have won the game if he just had let the ball go in, and I'm not even convinced it was going to go in. Either way, he doesn't. He throws an arm out instinctively. And, I, and genuinely, this is where I think um, things can work against you, is there are so many Colombian fans that travelled to Saransk. And, you know, you've got the national anthem still ringing in your ears and you've got players crying and fans screaming. And that passion overload was still kind of coursing through his veins at that point. I wonder if that contributes to something instinctive like that. Um, but either way, it doesn't matter now. Uh, Japan scored through Kagawa. Colombia equalised. Colombia... With ten men, were Japan's equals, and, and and that's I kind of think Colombia. I think Colombia are a better team. Obviously, disadvantaged from the the fifth minute, it's very difficult to win a game like that. Um, but they did equalise through Juan Fernando Quintero, who a few years ago, when he was eighteen, nineteen, looked like one of the best young prospects in the world. Um, and things just went south for him. He went to Porto, and it kind of fell apart. And then two years ago, he nearly retired. Um, his dad was. Um, disappeared by the Colombian government during the kind of Colombian civil war with, with FARC. Uh, a really interesting story, like talented kid, but as I said, didn't look like it was working out. And then he went home to Colombia, which you, you feel like kind of could be like the last stop for a young player, a young Colombian player who whose career hasn't worked out, a wonder kid. And he went to Independiente de Medellin and just completely found himself again. Now he's at River Plate. On Last year he was at Independiente, was great. Now he's at River Plate in Argentina. Um, and looks good. And then he was in for Hammers today because Hammers was just deemed unfit to start. 
and you've got to have a lot of confidence to to score the free kick that he did. And you've seen the you've seen the goal, right? Yeah, yeah. No, you do because it goes under the wall, doesn't it? And it's like one of those that you have to pull off it inch perfect, otherwise you look like a bit of a uh, tit. Um, so. <laughs> yes, so you avoided looking like a tit um, in, in Northern. The goalkeeping's poor, though. The goalkeeping is poor, but I th- but there's been a bit of a trend, a weird trend, and it's World Cup of... of uh, we've seen a lot of set-piece goals, which is something to discuss at some point, but uh, it was a big wall. It was like a six-man wall for a free kick about 25 yards out. And I think he also pushed the wall too high because what he didn't want was the cross to come in and someone to be right on top of him because the Colombians had like Davinson, Sanchez and go forward. So the wall was basically too big and badly positioned, which uh, obviously doesn't help the keeper's sight lines. And then Quintero makes the decision that they're definitely going to jump and he puts it underneath and it stinks inside the near post. I think you're right, the keeper gets to it, he does get to it, but only after the ball's crossed the line. Which which is not good enough, but Colombia, at that point, you're thinking, Colombia could still do this with 10 minutes on 11, but as the second half wore on, Japan played, I think, basically quite intelligently with the extra man. They used the fullbacks. They have got good fullbacks. Uh, Yuto Nagatomo has been in Italy for years, and he was at Inter for a while. Yeah. And uh, Achida, he plays in the Bundesliga. So uh, they they stretched the game which is what you've got to do. They, they kept possession. Now, if that game had been played 11 v 11, you'd put all your money on Colombia dominating possession-wise. But, you know, in the end, it was Japan with about 60% possession. And they've got some nice playmakers, uh, Takashi Inui, Shinji Kagawa, Keisuke Honda, uh, Makoto Hosebe. These guys are guys who probably expected to play on the counter-attack. And instead, these are very good playmakers and, and passers of the ball who've got a lot more time on the ball and they're getting the ball in advanced areas. So um, it really suited them down to the ground, as I guess you would expect it to, playing with an extra man. Um, but they made the most of it, which you see sometimes uh, teams don't do. And uh, James Rodriguez came on for Colombia with half an hour to go. But actually, um, Colombia got worse, not because he came on, but just because they got more tired because it's difficult um, when one of your players gets sent off after five minutes to, to keep up with that pace. And in the end, it was a good goal, good header from a corner from um, the striker, Yu Yosako. And Japan beat Colombia. So Group H now, Japan and, and Senegal, both with 2-1 wins. And I'd say that group is absolutely wide open and actually pretty damn interesting. Yeah. Can I ask you one thing about the Colombia thing before of course. we talk about Group H? Um, do you think that handling the ball in that manner when you're... We we can debate whether it was going over or what, but if if you're preventing a certain goal, should be a red card and a penalty, or should it be just a goal? Well, um, I can see why stopping the ball on the line with your hand is a red card opportunity. Is a red card offence? Yes. Yeah. Um, I, I see the the thing about you punishing a team several times over by giving the penalty as well. Well, I think what I'm saying is, like, for example, Suarez against Ghana. Yes. Should Should you maybe send him off and just award Ghana a goal, or or like just award Japan a goal today? So if you send him off and award the goal, I think you send. You think you should what, award the goal rather than the penalty. Yeah, yeah. But then the, the problem is, 
exactly this situation is we don't know if that was going in or not I think in this situation it's, it's, it's obviously a lot um, the, the lines are a bit more blurred exactly but, but you have to be prepared for the situations where the lines are blurred yes but like there's, there's instances where you can use your judgement and say that the Suarez one was certainly going in absolutely right, but you can't have in. rules that are, I don't think you can have rules that are that but we have loads of rules that are interpretations yeah so. we do have loads of rules interpretation but they're kind of gradually phasing them out not bringing them back in <laughs> um <laughs> I, 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 I see your point I don't know the, the outside law has become more about interpretation like handball still about whether it's deliberate or not which you can never know so I, I, I don't know I mean it, it completely changed this game um, it, it levelled the game for sure um, but it just makes it hard for Colombia now because Colombia have got games against two difficult opponents and they could easily go home at the group stage of this competition and I would feel that almost 90% of the blame for that would fall with Carlos Sanchez's handball after five minutes I mean you saw Poland and Senegal today um, I think Colombia are a better team probably than both from what I saw mm-hmm. um, but what what would you expect to happen now in, in Group H? I would agree that an 11 man Colombia is better than the two teams that I saw today and I think they probably they probably beat Japan like we were saying as well um, so Senegal, Japan, Poland, Japan. What do you th- what do you expect there? No, I, I expect I, at the minute I would say Colombia, Senegal. Interesting. So you still think Colombia can get through despite that? I mean, Japan have got a good head start. I think Poland was was, was, was so poor today, really, and I mean, I mean, like, like I was saying before, just a total lack of invention and ideas and and cohesion in the attacking lineup. I know they scored a lot of goals in qualifying, but they also conceded a lot as well. And those defensive problems stood out above and beyond anything else today. So I, I do wonder for them. I, I did think Japan were poor any like coming into this tournament. I thought they were the weakest member of that group, which is which is a tight one, but still the weakest member. So yeah, based on that, I think um, Senegal probably have enough just about to get over the line. And I think Colombia, I think Colombia beat Poland and, um, and and Senegal. Yeah. The worst thing in a World Cup, I've decided. Uh, from the last week is uh, an average European team because they bring nothing and they're probably going to go home at the group stage and they don't they're not even interesting you know it's not like they're not like a team that's so laughably bad they're funny they're usually pretty organised they've got a lot of players that play for big clubs and they basically come here like stunk their place not even stunk their place out they're just like no one even cares no one would care if they weren't here and uh, Poland are one of those teams. I watched them and I thought, like, oh, like, what, 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 what are you doing here and why? Um, take a lot of fans. They did. They did bring a lot of fans. Fans, fans are all, you know, they're they're noisy enough. Um, they actually were were by far and away the 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 largest number of fans in the in the uh, Spartak Stadium. It's a, I forget his proper name now. That's what FIFA's yeah. name for it is. Yeah. Um, they were they were by far and away the the largest number in there, but uh, they kind of got drowned out by some really excellent Senegal fans who um, made a, made a total racket from from the first whistle. Uh, so yeah, I, I'd say you know they obviously still bring something to the tournament, but I agree. Like you just you just wonder where Poland going, and I don't think they were good enough to make the second round. Uh, other news in Moscow today: Set Blatter arrived um, from Zurich. Banned, of course, for life by FIFA, but invited personally by Vladimir Putin um, to say thank you for his part in ensuring Russia yeah. got the World Cup. Um, Do you think that's pretty routine? Do you not think that might just happen 
like say if we'd had a change in FIFA president and it would obviously have happened in 2010 or 2006 I think if someone's banned for life by FIFA you don't invite them to a FIFA event is, is I don't think that's very I don't think that's a very routine I don't thing know. I think, yeah. if I was if I was um, if I was sacked and and banned from the independent yeah and then you invite me this, to the independent yeah. Christmas party yeah um, I've got a feeling that it might not go down, go down so well but if you'd organised the independent Christmas party yeah, I still wouldn't be involved. Like, I, I'm still banned. I'm still <laughs> bloody banned from the whole thing. But, you know, like, it's, it's a fairly straightforward scenario. I don't know. Um, you, might, you seem like the guy that would still turn up. Well, that, but, like, by that point, you're having, like, a breakdown and a divorce. I'm, like, turning up, like, really drunk at, like, 1am. But, like, you don't remember me? Yeah. I made this thing happen. <laughs> uh, yeah, like that guy. Um, so, a- apart from that, I guess that's, that's all the, the main football to talk about today. Um... In transfer news, Fabianski to West Ham, yes. as you said. Um, Arsenal are going to sign Bernd Leno. And uh, Jack Wilshire has announced that he's leaving Arsenal. And that's, that's enough club football now for now because I'm swiftly realising that I hate club football. So um, never come back, please, the Premier League. Tomorrow, what have we got tomorrow? I'm off to Portugal versus Morocco. Uh, my preview focuses around... Uh, Manuel da Costa, who has, uh, is, who was born in France to a Portuguese father and a Moroccan mother, and uh, some good words from him in there about you know the, the feeling about being divided. He was at West Ham briefly, you might remember. Uh, also played for Fiorentina, a few other uh, teams. PSV played for ten teams uh, in a fairly nomadic career, going across Europe, currently um, in Turkey. And what is the other game we've got? We've got Egypt. Uh, not Egypt yeah. Saudi versus Uruguay yeah. as we discussed earlier on and then Spain are back uh, with David De Gea still starting um, I'm not even going to give any time to that story but uh, Spain versus Iran now I think Iran could frustrate them Carlos Quiroz is a good manager Jack wrote last week that he was the, the star of, the, of that day of the tournament because Jack loves Carlos Quiroz for no reason um, but there's loads of good stuff on the website and, and not least by the way having seen Senegal today Jack Pitt Brooks piece yeah. with Salif Jao yeah. on Senegal 2002 is brilliant so um, search it out I guess if you type in Senegal 2002 independent into your favourite search provider then you're going to find it pretty quickly um, as ever thank you for listening check us out in all the usual places we'll be back tomorrow um, tomorrow night yeah, yeah we will be back tomorrow night it's just a normal evening isn't it yeah. um, and then you're off to Sochi in not too long. Is that correct? That is right. I think it's Friday, though. So oh, we've still got a while yet. Friday, you're off to Sochi. So we've, uh, we've still got Pritch and Miguel. Yeah, is it today? It's, it's Tuesday, isn't it? Tuesday, all day long. Yeah, we've been here for a week now. Um, Miguel is in Nizhny Novgorod. Uh, Johnny is in St. Petersburg. And uh, Jack's back up in Rapino. So we're, we're all over the place bringing you the best news, views, and analysis. And uh, as ever, you know to find that on independent uk slash football on this podcast every day um, which we thank you for listening and as I said remember to tell your friends and uh, check us out on, on Instagram and Twitter and the like as usual and until tomorrow I will say Svazil and Zvedanya <laughs>